Well, good morning and happy Super Bowl Sunday, church. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we appreciate you joining us right before the big game and being a part of our online church community here uh, to hear God's word, for prayer, and for fellowship. Um, how many Chiefs fans are in the house? Okay. And how many Eagles fans? Well, um, not to be biased or anything because I'm a Rams fan, but uh, there are very few or little no reference to Chiefs in the Bible. But, you know, all throughout the Bible, there's an idea of eagles, right? Where Isaiah says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They should mount up with wings as eagles. They would run, not grow weary and walk and not faint. So um, uh, take that as it is. All right. I know some of you are not so much for the football game, but maybe some of you are there for the halftime show or the commercials. But not only is it Super Bowl Sunday, today is, is also the weekend right before Valentine's Day. That's right, this Tuesday, uh, February 14th is Valentine's Day. And in lieu of that, I just want to, I thought I would help in, in lieu of love and being Valentine's Day, I thought I would give you five cheesiest Christian pickup lines, all right? Because I saw a TikTok just this past week where uh, he says, why do Christian men have no riz? I'm like, riz, R-I-Z-Z, and I had to play it again, riz. It's a Gen Z term where the young people use, it's a short for charisma. And uh, riz basically means uh, that you have the ability to attract the romantic interest of someone, all right? so. In 90s vernacular, it would be like, oh, he got game or she got game. All right. So if you have Riz, you're, not that you're a player, but you have the ability to attract a personal, uh, to attract the romantic expression from another person. So here we go to give you all our Christian guys some Riz out there. Here are top five romantic Christian lines. Here we go. Number five. How many times do I have to walk around you? to make you fall for me, like the walls of Jericho. And this is the thing, man, if I have to explain it, you know, they have to walk around 13 times before the walls of Jericho fall, fell down. How many times do I have to walk around you before the walls of your heart until you fall for me? Okay, number four, is that a thin line, duo tone, ESV, traveler pocket Bible? Yeah, yeah, it's not even top five. All right, number three, I can check off something from my prayer list. I wife, because I think I just found mine. All right. Uh, <laughs> number two, um, girl, I didn't believe in predestin predestination until I met you. And number one Christian pickup line in lieu of Valentine's Day this Tuesday is, wow, girl, God gave you, God really gave you everything except my phone number. All right, so anyways, uh, with that, we're going to continue our series on the church called Upon This Rock. It's based on Matthew 16, where upon the confession that Jesus is the rock, that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And as I mentioned last week, this is like a primer or an introduction to ecclesiology. Uh, ecclesia is the Greek word for gathering or the church. So it's, it's kind of like a brief study on introduction to what the church is. Jesus is the foundation. And today we're going to talk about the ordinance 
or the practice, some would say the sacrament of the church, which is communion and water baptism. All right, water baptism and communion. This is the message. This is the ordinance or the practice of the church. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 3 to 11. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 to 11, as we talk about water baptism. And 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 29, as we talk about uh, communion. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, we'll read from the ESV version. And Romans chapter 6, all right? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall also certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Here we go, verse 8. Now if we have died with Him, we believe we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will no, never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's go to our next uh, text about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as, as, often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so Lord, we thank you that we shall not live by bread alone, but, every, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, our food is not spiritual food. Our food is to do the will of you, Jesus, who sent us. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we talk about water baptism, as we talk about communion, the, these uh, ordinances that you instituted, that we should carry on until you come, O oh Lord Jesus, that uh, we would, uh, they would give us a glimpse of your glory and that we would fall in love with you and fall in love with your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, let's just go straight uh, to the main idea and the main point. And here's the big idea that I want us to walk, with, walk away with. It's this. The church revolves around the ordinances of baptism and communion. 
which represents the believer's participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me say that again. The church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the people of God, it revolves around the ordinances or the practices or the sacraments of two areas. The first is baptism. Second is communion. And what are these two ordinances? They represent the believer's participation into the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so first is that I want to address this word ordinance, okay? Because it's not something that we usually say in our everyday language. But ordinance simply means it, this is a God-ordained ceremony. And you notice I did not use the word sacrament because the word sacrament, it usually it, it signifies and it's thought of, of being a mean of God's grace. So, for example, in the Holy, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, they have seven sacraments, all right? From baptism, communion, laying on the hands, marriage, holy orders, anointing of the sick, uh, confession. And these are um, <clears throat> infusion, as it were, of the grace of God. But we, as evangelicals, we believe that every person needs to be evangelized to be saved. We believe that um, grace is only through Jesus Christ. It's in the person and the work of Jesus. And instead of sacrament, where we, we, uh, it's, uh, we receive the means of grace, we believe in the ordinance, which means that Jesus instituted this. He started these two things of water baptism and communion. And it's for the people of God to carry out and to practice uh, as, a, as His people. Now, when we talk about uh, ordinance, uh, there's usually three, uh, three prerequisites or three requirements for something to, or three factors for something to be an ordinance. One is that they were instituted or originated by Christ. Second is that they were taught by the apostles. And thirdly, they were practiced by the early church. And all three of these things that Jesus instituted, the apostles taught it, and they were practiced by the early church, these are uh, rites, um, acts of obedience as the people of God, water baptism and communion that the people, uh, the, the people of God performed and did and obeyed. And the, when we do that, we participate in the death of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. All that to say is that there's something intrinsic, something special of being baptized in water and taking communion every first Sunday of the month that we participate as believers in the death of Jesus and we uh, not only in his death, but also his resurrection. And so here's the first point I want us to Oh, the first truth I want us to live out in, in regards to water baptism is that water baptism is membership in the body of Christ and it signifies union with Christ in his death and resurrection. See, when you and I said yes to the Lord and we confess with our mouth and we believed in our heart that Jesus is the Christ and that God raised him from the dead, what we need to do then is follow Jesus in membership and be a part of the body of Christ through water baptism. You see, baptism is all about Jesus. 
we identify in the life of Jesus. We associate, we participate in the life, in the death, in the burial, and in the resurrection of Jesus. Just the very uh, act of water baptism, that you go before the water and you confess publicly your faith in Christ, and that when you're submerged in the water, you're submerged, it, it represents going down, you're in the water, it represents the death and the burial of Jesus, meaning that you die to your sin, you die to your old self, that Jesus died in his flesh, all right? And when you are, after you've been submerged and when you emerge from the water and you've been taken up into the water and you experience refreshing, right? It represents resurrection of Jesus. So you identify and you associate and you participate in the life and the person and the work of Jesus. Because if we just go to Manolua Bay and we have water baptism and we just kind of, oh, we just, bab you know, we just sprinkle water or whatever and we just have uh, food, then it's just playing in the water and a potluck dish. But as it is, it is always about Jesus. It is about the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. So let's reread Romans chapter 6 again, where Paul talks about the importance of water baptism. And I want you to, I emphasize it in yellow, but I want you to gain the spiritual truth that what happens to Christ happens to those who are in Christ. Let me say that again. What happens to Christ happens to those who are in Christ. If it happens to the Jesus, it happens to those who believe in Jesus. All right? So let's reread Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? His death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk into what? The newness of life. For if we have been united, I talked about that, united with, with Christ in baptism. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be reunited with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we who no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Did you guys catch that? So for the believer, this ordinance that the Lord instituted, that the apostles preach, and that the early church practice of water baptism, it's associating yourself. It's participating yourself. It's almost substituting yourself like Christ, that you, when Jesus died, it represents his being submerged. And when he was resurrected, it represents in our baptism, in, the, in your baptism, it represents the resurrection power of new life. And let me tell you something, church, 
you know, I, I, I got saved in 1996 and 1998, I graduated from high school and then um, 1999, I went into Bible college and I loved the Lord. I had a passion for the Lord, for the Lord and for Jesus. I had a passion to live right, but there were some areas in my life that I struggled with. Um, there were some vices, there were some habitual sins that I, I, there was just no matter amount of prayer and, and fasting and reading the Bible and self-discipline that it, these sins would always stumble me. It wasn't until my sophomore year in Bible college where we took a, a quarter class, right? Three months, four months, we took a class on the book of Romans. And right in the middle of Romans, Romans chapter six, when the light came on, when my professor, Professor Mark Duzik, told us, like, hey, not unless you associate yourself and participate in, in your baptism, that you associate yourself in the death of Jesus, that you have died to your sin, that me, John, that I died to uh, saying cuss words, that I've died to my old lifestyle, that I've died to listening to... Um, hip-hop with explicit lyrics with a lot of cussing and I always kind of go back to it and then but until I came to the truth that in my baptism I died to my sin and listen you guys once something is dead it is dead it is dead if you go to a in front of a a dead person or a dead thing no matter what you put, no matter what kind of uh, enticement or appetizer or no matter how you try to tempt something that is dead, it's dead. And I had to believe that in my head and in my heart that, you know what? I've been baptized. I died to my old self. I died to my old ways. I died to my old appetites. I died to my old sin. I died to the, my old order of life. I'm dead to that. And once I believe this, and once I put my faith in this, I was able to throw away like tons of, of vinyl records and CDs. In the 90s, you know, we had uh, CD folders, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars of CDs and records because uh, I used to collect vinyl records. I was able to just throw it away because it wasn't good for my soul. But before I had a hard time letting it go. But once I realized, you know, I died to this. The sin, I, I've died to it. I've been raised to a new life in Christ. And then I was able to experience uh, victory and new life and resurrection power in the name of Jesus. You know, he, he, here's a picture of where I was born. And this is Ojongan Romblon. And this is the place... Um, uh, where people lined up, where this is actually where my dad uh, baptized people. And I'll never forget it, that in this time, there was a man who had been a chain smoker for, I believe, 35 years. And he was in his late, uh, uh, late 50s, early 60s, and this man who had been smoking for 35 years, one pack a day or two packs a day, something to that effect, he couldn't stop smoking, but he believed in Jesus. And... Um, in his baptism, my dad explained dying to the old self, associating to the death of Jesus, and when you come out and you emerge from the water, it represents your resurrection and newness of life. And so, 
this man, he said, hey, uh, pastor, let me go back to the land real quick. I was like, okay. And um, he, he wanted to get water baptized with a cigarette, with a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. And when he was submerged, 35 years of smoking cigarettes, the addiction of nicotine, 35 years after he was, after he emerged and the cigarette stayed in that water and his old life signified in that water, uh, he died to that. From that day forward, he never smoked a single cigarette for the rest of his life following Jesus that his desires, his appetite changed. Why? Uh, Romans 12 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And for some of us, we've had these little sins on the side and we've had these habitual sins that we keep, hey, by the authority and power of God's word. Romans um, chapter, uh, Romans in chapter six, after this, it, it it says in verse 12 that do not let sin reign in your mortal body anymore, that you'll be transformed, that you'll be changed. And this is the power of biblical baptism. Okay, number two, would you write this in, is communion. And communion is ongoing fellowship with Christ in the communion of believers to commemorate his death and anticipate the messianic banquet yet to come. So, baptism, right? It's participation in the death of Jesus. And communion, it's this fellowship. It's this uh, gathering. It's this re ongoing relationship. Jesus says, do this as often as you gather, as often as you meet, right? That we commune as a people of God. How? To commemorate His death. Remember His death, but also... We look forward, kind of like Advent, right? The two sides of Advent, that He came the first time and that we look forward to a second Advent. In the same way, communion, it, it uh, gives us a, a taste of a messianic banquet that Jesus Christ will come back. And so the Gospels, it records that Jesus instituted communion during the Passover meal. And here's what I want you to get regarding communion. All right, is that the New Testament communion is the Old Testament Passover meal. See, in Jewish culture, the Passover meal, it revolved around a lamb that was sacrificed and eaten together with family and friends. The genesis or the origin of this was in the story of Exodus, right? And how God, um, He set Israel free, the people of God free, and the way he did that is that they had a Passover meal and where they got, they were to commemorate, they were to get the blood of the lamb, they were to kill the lamb, get its blood, put it over the doorpost, over Egypt, right? The night they were supposed to leave before they left. And then they were to eat the, the lamb and have this meal. And the angel of death would pass over. That's where we get the word Passover. It would pass over. So if you had the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, then your firstborn will be saved and his life will be spared. And those who did not have the blood of the lamb, that uh, their firstborn, the Egyptians, they would be killed. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed and with the details of the Passover looming over the disciples' minds, Jesus directly connected himself to this monumental event 
in Israel's history. So the bread, which identifies his body, it, it goes back to the Passover lamb that was slain and sacrificed for the people of Israel. And the blood, or the juice, or the cup, which identifies with his blood, it goes back to the blood of the lamb that atoned for the sins of the people. And um, there are four things that, as we bring this up, as we wrap this up regarding uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. Are you guys ready? Num four major aspects. Number one is remembrance. Verse 24 says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the first aspect, when we have communion, like we did last week, like we do every first Sunday of the month, is that we remember. And the reason why we remember is not only are we forgetful, but we remember we have to go back and know that this was a historical, factual reality. That when over, in other words, over 2,000 years ago, the God of this world, the creator of, this, of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the king of glory, came down to this earth and he lived and he, he confined himself to space and time, confined himself to a body. And for 33 years, um, God lived on this earth and he gave his life. And that this is a historical fact, that this is not in a land, in a galaxy far, far away, right? That this is actual history that took place. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid. We remember uh, the Passover lamb that if we eat, that we will, the angel of death, that we, the angel of death passes over us. And that because he died our death, that um, we no longer have to die and that we will have a resurrection like his. So we remember. Secondly, is personal examination. Uh, verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine yourself. Um, confession, repentance. Not that we are worthy, because none of us are worthy, right? Revelation talks about there's no one worthy to open the scroll, but... It's not a matter whether we're worthy or not because we're not worthy, but the way in we participate. We, we just are, are not casual with the communion, right? We're just like, oh, oh cheers, bro, and, and drink the crackers and eat up. It's like, no, it's a sober time. We remember what Jesus did. We examine. We examine the fact that his body was broken so that we don't have to live in brokenness, that we can come and bring our brokenness before God, our injuries, our hurt, our woundedness. We, we come and bring our trauma. We bring and we confess our sins before God. We lay them down. We know that he is faithful and just. And then we remember that uh, as we examine that he gives us sustenance and strength. And as we eat his broken body and we drink the cup, we represents his blood and his death, that we now have new life, right? So personal examination, you confess, all right? Thirdly is that we're thankful. In verse 24, it says, and when he had given thanks. All right, so if you grew up in the, human, in the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, you know that um, communion or the Lord's Supper where the Lord's table is usually called Eucharist. And what I love about Eucharist is it's from the Greek word 
uh, Eucharisteo, which means I give thanks. In other words, um, inherent in the bread and the juice is this heart of gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you that you lived a perfect life, that you are a holy lamb of God, that through your perfect life, through your sacrifice, through your death on the cross, through your resurrection, I may have new life. And I remember and I examine, but Lord, I'm grateful. Thank you, Lord, because you suffered and died. I don't have to suffer. My death will be temporarily. Lord, because you were forsaken, oh God, thank you that you were forsaken at the cross, that I am accepted by God. Thank you, Lord, that you were despised by people. Lord, and now because you were despised, I am, I am loved by God. So thank you. And we come before God in gratitude. And lastly is proclamation. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's really the heart of it. We, there's a sense of proc proclamation and proclaiming the finished work of Jesus. Amen. And just like Peter, flesh and blood didn't re reveal this to him, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. But the Father revealed it to him and he proclaimed. So when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim Jesus Christ is coming back. One day when Christ returns, there will be a banquet, right? A lot of the parables, the kingdom of God is compared to a banquet or a party. There will be a banquet, a dinner party where the people of God can gather. We could sit at the feet of Jesus, that this Jesus that we worship who we cannot see, that Jesus we cry upon, we, we cannot embrace, that Jesus that we um, pour out our hearts to and lift up our hands whom we cannot touch. One day when he comes back, we get to embrace him, fall down at his feet, and he'll tell us, well done, good and faithful servant, let's eat, let's have communion, let's have supper. And communion does that. It proclaims that uh, one day Christ will come back for his people. Amen. So these are the two ordinances. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you have instituted these things so that we could keep our affections for you refreshed. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us as your people, um, that we would love you all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. Take care.